Welcome, everyone. I'm Greg Masters, Managing Director of Health Innovation Media, the producer and co-host of the AMCP podcast series powered by Pop Health Week. And joining me in the virtual studio is my partner, colleague, and co-host of the AMCP podcast series, Fred Goldstein, President of Accountable Health, LLC. On today's show, our guest is Chris Jennings, former Obama administration deputy assistant to the president for health policy and current task force member of the Biden transition team. Chris serves as president of Jennings Policy Strategies, Inc., a nationally respected healthcare consulting firm committed to assisting foundations, purchasers, health systems, and other aligned stakeholders develop policies to ensure higher quality, more affordable, and sustainable Healthcare. And with that brief introduction, Fred, over to you. Thanks, Greg and Chris. Welcome to the AMCP podcast series powered by Pop Health Week. It's a pleasure to be with you, Fred. Yeah, it's fantastic to have you on this, our first show, and it's really great to have you talking about your experience. So, why don't we start there? Give us a little bit of your background. Sure. Well, I'm a longstanding masochist in healthcare policy. Uh, I've been doing this since 1983. So, coming close to 37, 38 years of working both through the Senate for 10 years on the Senate Aging Committee, worked in two White Houses, both all eight years in the Clinton White House, uh, a tour of duty in the Obama White House, worked within the Department of Health and Human Services for a little bit at the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services. At that time, it was called the Healthcare Financing Administration. And I have my own firm now where I do a lot of consulting, particularly with uh, purchasers of healthcare and also foundations. Fantastic. And I know, obviously, there's a lot going on right now. We've got the COVID pandemic going on. And uh, from your sense of having worked with the Clinton administration and the Obama administration, what's your sense of the rollout with the vaccine as compared to what you've seen done in the past? Well, Everything in healthcare is complex and challenging. Uh, I I believe the administration, relative and in in contrast with testing and PPE, but on the development and production of the vaccine, I think it's been quite impressive. I, I think the great challenge that is yet to be met uh, really comes down to the distribution of the vaccine and its and more importantly, its administration into the arms of people. That's where I think a lot of people are uh, increasingly raising concerns, both at that federal and state partnership and how that's working or not working, and and some new directions that we may need to be taking. I think it's fair to say that within any kickoff of any major healthcare implementation projects, there, there will be challenges. There's no question about that, and people will need to be a little bit patient, but Having said that, uh, we will not achieve our goals if we don't do a lot better. And there's going to be, uh, it's, it is necessary for us to have some interventions to improve what we're seeing today, for sure. Right. And you were involved in the rollout under the ACA and getting that out. And obviously, there were a lot of issues around that. We saw a little bit of politics around you know, voting for or against it. And then as it came out, some supported it more than others. How did you or the administration at that time work to try to overcome some of those issues? Well, uh, some of them are uh, are foreseeable and some of them are unforeseeable. I think this is a little bit different. Uh, I think the ch- uh, the challenge, the technological challenge, was extremely difficult. Like the the issue of vaccines, it was a federal state 
collaboration. There were complications. There was multiple players involved. In this case, it was health plans and providers and consumers. In the case of vaccines, it's really going to be manufacturers and pharmacists and healthcare providers and consumers. So it's a very, very, also very, very complex. Uh, As I say, because I'm somewhat sympathetic to the early stages of any implementation process, there will be bugs. There's just no question about that. What you have to do, though, after that occurs is you really have to evaluate very, very carefully where you are, establish a baseline of accountability, be honest with the assessment of the challenges along the way, do mid-course corrections, implement aggressively, Uh, Do not do paralysis by analysis, but do the analysis to get it straight up uh, as as quickly and as accurately as you can, but then move forward and and start addressing problems. And, you know, uh, it it works out over a period of time because it has to. There's just not going to be – failure is not an option in either one of these situations. I, I know that the incoming Biden administration feels that very, very strongly. Uh, As I say, also, there's much to be done. We have to be realistic about what we can do in a mass mass vaccination program. We have to recognize that there's all sorts of different delivery systems and uh, entities that we're going to have to be engaged with at the state, local, pharmacy, and other uh, levels. We have to set up some innovative vaccine program centers, it seems to me. Uh, We may need to look at the National Guard and use the Federal Commission Health Corps. We need to eliminate barriers that create friction to achieving quick and efficient vaccine distribution. And specifically, we're going to have to look at the skeptical communities, both within the minority populations and the populations who fall victim to conspiracy theories about vaccinations. Uh, And we're going to have to uh, have a very effective messaging campaign with very credible messengers in different communities. And uh, that has really yet to be done in any meaningful or effective way. I think it's going to probably have to wait for the Biden administration to reach a point where it will be successful. Mm -hmm. The messaging point you bring up is obviously a critical one. And it was important back in the day, obviously, with the rollout of, of the legislation you were involved with and and yes. now with the vaccine as well. And so, as you mentioned, it's it's really going to fall on the new administration who seems to be taking a different approach in terms of thought leadership, et cetera. Do you think that that ultimately is really the key to get that going? Obviously, you've got to do the delivery methods. The, the vaccines are here. The pharmaceutical manufacturers have done a great job rapidly with that. And now it's a matter of executing on getting it into people and getting the message out that this is the right thing to be doing. Absolutely. And to do that well, I mean, you still have other companies who will be producing product vaccinations and 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 product that you need to get out the door, and and some of that will be very helpful, particularly in underserved areas and rural settings. Hopefully, so I think we're going to have at least three different products that we can tap into uh, over time. Certainly after the Biden administration comes into office, and then to your point both in terms of effective delivery, uh, administration, getting the right providers in the right settings to deliver uh, the vaccination itself, but also an effective message to increase the confidence in the product. My view, truthfully, is that there's such a large group of people who do want the vaccinations that 
we we really need to get ahead of that game, be successful. Success begets success. We as we do that, we're going to need to develop a very very substantial set of credible messengers within the populations of doubters. Uh, they're going to get have to get vaccinations publicly. They're going to have to communicate clearly and in compelling ways about the importance of vaccinations and link it to how we get back into getting the government working, getting the economy working, getting the workforce working, getting employers working, getting schools up and running. You have to show how this vaccination process links to the success of reopening up our whole country. And I think that the president-elect, president-elect Biden and his team will be quite effective at doing that. But it will not be without a lot of work and there will be mistakes along the way. There's no question about that. Right. And obviously, as you point out, this is a critical component to reopening the economy, getting those schools back in place by getting people vaccinated, continuing to practice these safe habits, et cetera. So we can do those important things that we need to keep doing as an economy in education, et cetera. So yep. really fantastic. The um, the other issue that's been going on is obviously there's been questions around regarding the FDA and the CDC. These are really, you know, unique organizations that have been highly respected around the world. And how do you see that in the future, bringing that back, that gravitas that they had and, and recognition of their expertise? Well, you're right. It, the agencies have taken a hit. It's very disconcerting. Of course, it starts with reestablishing credible leadership. That credible leadership has to be empowered and supported and where appropriate deferred to. It needs to be clear that we are following the science. We're informed by the science. We aren't, we're not enslaved to it. We, we're informed by it, but we respect it and we empower the people who we have chosen in leadership positions to do their jobs. We need to fund those agencies adequately and we need to get the communities who benefit directly from the work of the agencies to participate in positive public messaging campaign about those agencies. And that includes manufacturers, payers, providers, consumer advocates, et cetera, that have credibility in and of themselves. And over time, if we do all of those things well, I have no doubt that we'll be able to get those agencies back to the credibility levels that they absolutely merited previously and must uh, secure again in the future, because we have to have trust in our institutions to do their jobs right. Uh, and here, in, until recently, as you know, FDA and CDC have had worldwide respected reputations. Mm -hmm. You mentioned also the public health system. And do you see that being a focus in the coming year or so for, from a congressional basis to try to ramp that up and increase potentially funding as well as other issues that they need so that they can then, if another one of these pandemics comes, which is certain to happen, are in better situation? Uh, absolutely. I think this debate around uh, in the upcoming year around uh, the pandemic and the next steps on uh, on addressing the challenges that we face must include a serious conversation about how we avoid this problem again. I personally believe that that will require thoughtful conversations about how we build back our hollowed out public health infrastructure, but also how we can automatically 
uh, in-state support for that infrastructure, but also for healthcare and economic supports that are automatically triggered in place when we face these situations, rather than having to deal with a Congress, a potentially polarized Congress, fighting over exactly what it should be. Uh, to me, it needs, we need to have automatic stabilizers that are automatically triggered into place. And I think we have to, to strengthen our public health infrastructure, not just to deal with these situations, but frankly, to do a much better job of, inf- uh, of integrating public health within healthcare delivery writ large. And I, I think you're seeing even pre-COVID, you saw increasing interest in that, but I, I actually think COVID has uh, justified a much more aggressive uh, intervention and approach to, to have a, both a, a new vision about how health and healthcare are better integrated in our healthcare system. Otherwise, we will find ourselves in the same or certainly similar situations in the future, and we must do better. Mm-hmm. And speaking of a new image of health and healthcare, when you look at that across the broad spectrum, obviously COVID has has made clear to many more folks in this country about health disparities that we we're now seeing that are exemplified by the poor outcomes in the lower socioeconomic groups, et cetera. Do you think that's going to give us the impetus to make some of those moves that are required, perhaps move further upstream and get into dealing with more of those social determinants of health? Yes. And I, and as I mentioned, we've seen in already some states trying to do a much better job of addressing social determinants of health. Now people call it social drivers of health uh, for there's, that's an, the new most appropriately politically correct way to discuss them apparently. But most important thing is we have to reflect back honestly about how all of us in healthcare, we, we actually should indict ourselves even more so. The idea that we did not know about disparities in healthcare and failed to address them is absurd. We, we have always known that we've had disparities in healthcare. We have not built up the appropriate trust levels. There are reasons why particularly minority, particularly black populations mistrust our healthcare system. And then, by the way, it isn't just Tuskegee. It really is the day-to-day operations of our healthcare system. And we have to do much, much better. So it's not just, uh, and that includes how we train people, who we train people, it includes, yes, SDOH. We have to do a much better job of integrating their public health care system and our health care system. But we also have to do a much better recognition of how the roles of housing, income, transportation, education plays in this regard. And we have to do better across the board. And I actually think that this president-elect, who is, is very, very committed to addressing equity issues, will do so with great and I think a very effective and aggressive focus that will bring people together. And we'll have to do it not just in the healthcare sectors, but throughout government and the private sector. And this this is not something that can be taken care of in six months or one year, but the vision can and the infrastructure can uh, to, to, to lay the predicate for those changes And I anticipate we'll see a very substantial conversation about this in the months to come with, I think, some very effective beginning steps to lay the infrastructure for real change. 
If you're just tuning in, you're listening to the AMCP podcast series powered by Pop Health Week. Our guest is Chris Jennings, former Obama administration deputy assistant to the president for health policy, a current task force member of the Biden transition team and president of Jennings Policy Strategies, Inc. For more information on Chris, go to www.jenningsps.com and do visit the AMCP podcast series powered by Pop Health Week at www.amcp.org forward slash podcast. Yeah, and your point regarding social determinants versus social drivers is a good one because it's not truly a determinant. It's an influencer. I've heard social influencer of health as well. And I used to say back in the days when I was running some Medicaid programs that people can't focus on their health because their life gets in the way. So let's solve those life problems first. That's exactly what you're pointing out. What do you see as the obstacles to this kind of integration with the public health and the healthcare system? Is it a financing issue? Is it a business models issue? Is it all of the Well, I, I personally think it's an all of the above. The, you know, our healthcare system silos itself quite frequently. The healthcare side of it from the public health side of it, we do that jurisdictionally on Congress. We do that uh, in, in our infrastructure, even within the Department of Health and Human Services, and how how we divide responsibilities within our healthcare system. And to some extent, those are, are required, you know, differences in roles and responsibilities. But the lack of coordination and integration is just striking. As is, by the way, the non-medical contributors to poor health outcomes and poor health status. And we really, we can't, we can't do much worse than we have done. So I'm, I'm going to be optimistic because I think there's some low hanging fruit where we can begin to create both bridges uh, uh, amongst all these different elements of these, these so-called silos. Uh, because I think both sides, all sides of health and healthcare status and healthcare improvement all recognize that you can't you can't do this any longer. Right? Great examples of that, of course, include, you know, mental health. We we have such silos in mental health. It happens all the time. We haven't well integrated within our primary care delivery system. We don't have enough healthcare personnel to address the challenges that we face. We haven't really even acknowledged all the various externalities that have contributed to a poor mental health status in our country. And we really need to have a greater focus on this. But the reason why I'm encouraged is I, I, I believe that more and more people are looking at creative ways to do this. And, and that could include, of course, coordinated care that creates financing incentives to do it well and do, doesn't create barriers to do it poorly and, and unnecessarily expensively. Mm -hmm. And you talked about creative ways to do this. And obviously, one of the things that came out of the Affordable Care Act was the Center for Medicare and Medicaid Innovations, which has been doing a lot of work around value-based care. Do you see that as possibly continuing that, that move to that type of a payment model tied with outcomes, and as we've talked about with the triple aim and things like that? Yeah, I, I, I sure do. I, I think that every administration, Democrat and Republican, they sometimes alter some of their terminology, but they're all wanting to move away from traditional fee for service into more of a value based purchasing approach. You know, the, the details and the context and the weighting and 
and the emphasis changes a little bit, but but I think this administration will be very, very committed to doing so. And I think in particular, I think we could see a lot more in the primary care integration models that people recognize are we're going to have to do to both better reward our primary care infrastructure and personnel, but also to recognize that they're so integral in making sure that we have a much better coordinated healthcare system that that recognizes the vast disparities in access to specialties that we have around in this country. Um, so I'm I'm actually somewhat encouraged, and I and I believe that the type of people who will be coming into the federal government will be very committed to that agenda. Mm-hmm. And you talk about access to care and um, the need for primary care, and particularly you've already mentioned this issue of rural versus urban, et cetera. Do you see technology? being actually put in place like we've seen with telehealth and other ideas to help further solve some of those problems? Will that be given a little higher status as we move forward? Well, I think innovation across the board is going to get higher status. And I think openness to it, which has been enhanced um, through the pandemic experience, will help spur that on even more. So definitely uh, this will be applicable to telemedicine. My view there is that I always get a little concerned with anyone who suggests that any one approach is a magic pill or that we have uh, addressed all the concerns that are related to the technology and its use and its appropriate oversight and reimbursement models. But but in general, yes, I believe people are going to want to tear down the barriers. And I think that there are going to be very, very positive uses of technology and telemedicine in particular to improve how we utilize our healthcare more efficiently and have better outcomes. And I think that will be applicable not just to physical healthcare, but also to mental healthcare as well. And I'm encouraged by that. Yes. And in terms of innovation, we've seen incredible, you know, this vaccines came out quicker than probably anybody really anticipated. The pharmaceutical industry obviously ran at this thing a whole hog to solve it. And what we're seeing now is more and more of these innovations come out is they then have to get integrated into the system. And there's some talk about uh, pre-approval information exchange or ideas like that to allow for the payers and others to begin to integrate that information earlier so they can make plans for it. What's your sense on something like that as an idea? I I think in theory, it's a it's a great idea. I think that there's been application of it in some cases. You know, when you apply these things in the real world, sometimes uh, the various entities don't always come together in, in their consensus position that it's it's helpful. And, and frequently they make their evaluations about that, whether they think it helps their particular interest or not. So for example, People are generally supportive of comparative effectiveness research until it's applied to them. <laughs> and, and there's always questions about who makes the decisions, who evaluates on what basis, on what metrics, et cetera, et cetera. Having said that, I think we're going to be looking at newer models like pre-approval information exchange and looking at healthcare economic information for sure on, on therapies. And, and my and I think it's it, we really don't have an alternative if we're not going to be looking at more traditional capping of healthcare costs or looking at different ways to uh, do it by price regulation. 
then we're going to have to look at other ways to evaluate value. And doing this in a, in a way that's sustainable for, uh, for both sides, rewards true innovations on the other side, I think is very much worth considering. There are, of course, going to be challenges. There always have been where you have products and devices that have little or no competition. Uh, and we have, we, we have major, major um, cost problems that a competitive market can't necessarily address in, in effective ways. But we have, to, we have to have an all-in use of tools approach to managing um, better value. Uh, I don't know if you've been looking at the data, but again, we're, we're seeing another uptake in inflation and healthcare. We're going to have a tremendous demographic demand for healthcare uh, the baby boomers this year, January 21, right now as we speak, uh, are beginning to turn age 75. And you know, once you turn 75, you're going to have this big cohort of people going through a very, very vulnerable and a very expensive care model. And uh, we're going to have to do better at getting greater value for our investment. Mm-hmm. Well, fantastic, Chris. I'd like to thank you so much for joining us on this AMCP podcast series. It's been a pleasure talking with you. It's my pleasure and always good to do. And I want to thank you and Greg as well. Back to you, Greg. And thank you, Fred. That is the last word for today's broadcast. I want to thank Chris Jennings, former Obama administration deputy assistant to the president for health policy and president of Jennings Policy Strategies, Inc., for his time and insights today. Do follow Chris's work on Twitter via at Chris Jennings, D.C., And for more information, go to www.jenningsps.com. That's J-E-N-N-I-N-G-S-P-S dot com. For the AMCP podcast series powered by Pop Health Week, my co-host Fred Goldstein and Chris Jennings, this is Greg Masters, encouraging you to follow and subscribe to the series at www.amcp.org forward slash podcast. And do consider subscribing to this series, and if you enjoy the content, like the show on your favorite podcast platform.